0: All right. Not to catch you guys off guard, but if you want to turn your chairs, I'll be joining you from the west lawn. <laughs> I don't know what direction this is. Sounds so fancy. Right? I just figured I'll I'll do this this way since if I'm way over there, it's like a what? That's almost like 30 30 yards. That's three first downs. <laughs> And this will be the mosh pit, for those of you that... No, I'm kidding. (laughs) So, I normally don't do the calendar determining the message. I usually just let Christ determine the message, or allow the Holy Spirit to, say, do something topical. I prefer... Expository, you just go line by line, chapter by chapter. I feel like you really get to have God cover the topics. Of course, you know, there's liberty within that, but when you're talking about healing someone on the Sabbath, you're dealing with that topic. When you're talking about Nicodemus being born again, you're talking about being born again. You can talk about being born again every single Sunday, (laughs) you know, you can, and that's okay, but when you journey through the Bible, And you go line upon line, God picks the topics, even ones that you don't like or you want to avoid. Today, I picked a topic, but I felt like God was guiding a little bit. I'm not saying that everything I say is infallible or inspired. uh, But I feel like it's a culturally sensitive message. It's a historical message. It's definitely a Christ-centered message, but it's going to be different in that I hope you don't feel like you're in high school history class, but for those, I'm looking around, some of you haven't been in high school for quite some time, so, <laughs> so to take a job down memory lane and to take you back to your senior year might not be a bad thing. <laughs> thanks Beatrice. <laughs> Beatrice do you want to sit in the shade? Oh, no, we, they, uh, we, we love okay I do too actually. <laughs> so take your Bibles if you would and turn to Psalm 100 and today's message is going to be basically historical in nature. I don't know How much you know about Thanksgiving, like most of our holy days, we call them holidays. We've taken the holy out of holly or the whatever. (laughs) It was a holy day. And we'll we'll look at that the reasons why. And you know, like Easter's about baskets and rabbits. Christmas is about elf and... um, (laughs) No, it's not. It's just my favorite Christmas movie. Uh, what's his name? Will Ferrell. Um, Santa Claus. And then Thanksgiving's about, what, football, family, turkey. And that's all good. And that's all fine. But just so long as we get kind of a historical background of how did we get here? What? Where? How did it all start? And so I'd like to open with just a psalm. It's only five verses long. I'll read it, we'll pray, and then we'll look at some reasons why people even felt the need to leave where they were at and to come to America, and then we'll just take it from there. So let's read Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you lands. We just did that earlier. Amen. Good job, guys. Serve the Lord with gladness. Um, I want to thank Clay. He came earlier and he served the Lord with gladness and he said, what do you want me to do? I said, okay, can you help set up? And he came early and helped set up. So thank you for that. And, and Jerry setting things up uh, electronically and Michael and, and everyone that has everything to do. Um, Carrie, he was here early as always doing administrative stuff. And so we serve the Lord with gladness uh, before his presence with uh, singing Know you that the Lord, he is God, he has made us. We haven't made ourselves. <laughs> the problem with the self-made man is he worships the creator himself. <laughs> That's a good quote. We didn't make ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy, his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations including this one, even though it seems truth is hard to define or hard to get to. We know truth is a person. It's Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says. Uh, But God's truth endures throughout all generations. And so I'd like to share with you this morning, uh, briefly, just the truth about how we got here, this great country that we have How did it all begin? Uh, Should we be thankful? Um, And where are we at right now? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the freedom to assemble. Even though it's outside, uh, I'm still thankful that we have great weather. We have a great church. uh, There's a good spirit amongst us, Lord. And uh, we love you. And we love our community. We love our country. And we just thank you for the blessings that we have Uh, We don't know the future, Lord, but we know that you do, and we're going to put our faith and hope in you, and so guide us, Lord, this morning, encourage our hearts, help us to leave here really being thankful, help us to enter into Thanksgiving holiday uh, as a thankful people, maybe looking for opportunities to share our thankfulness and gratitude to uh, friends and family. So, Lord, I pray that you would just um, be with us this time, as I know you already are. Um, And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, some of the reasons for America colonizing was three main ones. It's for economic freedom, for political freedom, and religious freedom. So, to give you kind of a background, the economic freedom in England, which is where the pilgrims came from, in the 1600s, England faced severe unemployment. It's interesting. The land was in shortage, which equaled to individual freedom, and that was because of the the way that they they controlled property, right? So there was a shortage, and if you couldn't have the ability to uh, uh, obtain land for yourself, you had to rent, and then if you had to rent, uh, you really didn't have freedom at all. And so that was an issue, and Great uh, Britain at that time was also experiencing tremendous inflation. So there was a lot of factors going on economically as to why uh, the pilgrims said, hey, Uh, Maybe we could trust God somewhere else. The next thing was political freedom. So to put that in perspective, between 1603 and 1649, and you know it was in the 16, 19s, and 20s where they came over, between that time, um, England claimed the divine right of kings, right? And the divine right of kings was that that the king had absolute authority over economic, political, and religious matters. Do you remember that that, uh, scene in Braveheart? Anyone seen Braveheart? Yeah, some are not admitting it. It's okay. Well, it was a, it was a battle really between political and religious freedom and economic freedom between Scotland and England. You know, and and I don't know all the dynamics that go on to this day, but it goes back pretty far. And at, there was at one point where uh, William Wallace, who was kind of this rogue leader of the Scots, um, uh, was faced in a battle between uh, the king of england and the king of england to make him mad exercise the divine right of kings and call for prima nocta which was that he gave the right for people to go and take someone's wife on the night of their wedding and have physical relations with them would that tick you off here you're waiting to marry your wife you both have saved yourself uh to to death do you part and then the the government comes in and says, "I have a divine right to take your wife and to sleep with her, and you and you can't do anything about it." <laughs> the evil of dictators throughout uh, world history is it would ast- it, it's astounding, um, and so they could do no wrong, and they acted as dictators over every area of life, control. So. There was economic freedom, political freedom, and religious freedom. So at the time, there was only one recognized church, established religion, which was the Church of England, which you know was no different than the Catholic Church because all that happened during that time was King Henry VIII, as he was living adulterous and, and in fornication, the Pope said, you can't do that and and uh, be the head of the church and the head of the country. So he said, okay. See you later, Pope. I'm going to do my own thing. And then he started the Church of England, but he, came all, he, he kept all of the same traditions. He just made himself the Pope and the political leader of the Church and the State of England. And the Church of England, that, that's how that became what it is, or what it was at that time. So because the king was not only in control over the state government, but he was also in control over the state church, so people who were not members of the Church of England were severely shunned. Remember, there was already economic hardship there, and if you're kind of shunned, it's a lot harder to find employment when unemployment was really on the rise to begin with. So um, people who were not members of this church had a hard time uh, to live life in England, those who were opposed to the official state church were often persecuted even to the point of death. And I don't need to go on and on about that, but you know about uh, the persecution throughout the ages. But we're talking specifically of what prompted the pilgrims to leave their situation. So multitudes of Christians lost their lives to the ruthless, the ruthless kings and queens who would kill them in the name of God and religion. That's sad. That's sad. Many of those were Baptist Christians who would not conform. But of those Christians, you have two factions. You have one group called the Puritans and the other group called the Separatists. Now, the Puritans, you might know them with, they look like they're going to do river dancing because they got the buckles and the hats and, you know. Um, But the Puritans were those who wanted to purify the Church of England from within. That's why they called them the Puritans. They were the ones that stayed in and they're like, they're going to, you know, they're going to change everything from within. I don't know if that worked, but the separatist, as the name would include, they just said, "We'll let God deal with it. We'll go do our own thing. Right? And so that's who the Baptists would have mainly lined up with, would have been the separatists, not that they wouldn't have stayed within and tolerated all the false doctrine and weird traditions and works-based salvation. They wouldn't have tolerated any of that. So... During this time, though, there were some early attempts at settlement. I don't know. um, This is going to take you back to school a little bit. If you remember Sir Humphrey Gilbert. Well, Sir Humphrey Gilbert in 1578, he and his brother, Sir Walter, left England (laughs) with a fleet of ships but had to turn back due to bad weather. His second voyage five years later in 1583 got him across the Atlantic but bad weather forced him uh, back again, and all the ships and crew were lost at sea. I mean, think about the people that are trying to get here. I know there was people already here, right? Uh, maybe cross the Bering Strait. Uh, There's a lot of Native Americans that were already here. But we're talking people that are coming from England to come over here. So um, saw Sir Walter Raleigh in 1585, made it as far as the coast of present-day North Carolina. He named the territory Virginia after Queen Elizabeth, who was known as the Virgin Queen. That's why he named it that. His colony somehow disappeared after he sailed to England to get more supplies, and when he returned, all was lost. Jamestown, next on the list. So in 1607, King James, right? I have a King James Bible. Um, King James granted a charter to be sponsored for 100 men and boys to resettle Virginia. So when they got to America, they harbored in Chesapeake Bay in May 1607. They named the river there James River, uh, the land they called Jamestown after King James of England. Jamestown nearly failed a few times with half of the original settlers dying shortly after they got there. Many of them did not want to work, this is very important, uh, but practiced a communal style living. In other words, they had a common storehouse and their philosophy was, all right, a few people will work. We'll put everything in a storehouse, but then everything in that storehouse is available to everyone. So what it caused was a group of lazy, non-working people where a few people worked and the majority didn't. This is in the beginning of the country. I want you to know this. So this communal style living, or you might say it reflects modern-day socialism, where people would just get an unemployment check. Now, if you've paid into unemployment and you need it, that's one thing. But if you use it as an entitlement benefit where other people have to pay your wages and you're not willing to work, that's what these guys were doing, right? I'm not against unemployment. It's there for a reason. But what happens where these guys were willing to work, but they weren't working because there was a storehouse. Why would you work when you could just go into the storehouse and get free food? That's what was going on. So, early on in America, you see just the nature of man. So Captain John Smith shortly changed this rule after arriving from England to help his collapsing economy, or colony It was collapsing. And then he quoted 2 Thessalonians 3.10 to them. And he said, We commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. He quoted that. To the early colonists. And he... He's noted by saying this, Captain John Smith. He says, those who tried to live without working soon found they must also try that harder thing to live without eating. (laughs) Jamestown began to prosper after it formed a capitalist form of government rather than a welfare, welfare socialist form of government. Isn't that interesting? John Rolfe, who married the Indian princess Pocahontas, this is way before Disney, everyone, Taught the, that the taught the Indians how to grow tobacco, which was imported to England for great profits, so you have, you have this capitalist um, forming government where they're coming up their own GDP right even though it's a colony, uh, and they're sending it back overseas but here's the what the King of England said: tobacco is a custom loathsome to the eye. Hateful to the nose, harmful to the brain, dangerous to the lungs. He was on to something, actually. (laughs) And in the black stinking fume thereof, it nearest resembles the smoke of the bottomless pit. That was his idea of these colonists sending tobacco back to England for great profit. That's the king said that, yeah. The pilgrims. So the Puritans uh, were seen as a great threat to the king of England. They wanted to change the church from within, but the king persecuted them and wanted to throw them out. The separatists, on the other hand, uh, these were like many Baptist brothers who regarded not the state-controlled church, but started self-governing independent churches. And it's at this point, after the the separatists and the Puritans, which came over on the Mayflower, they're kind of a combination of both, 10 years later, there's another guy by the name of Roger Williams. I just put him in here because he's one of he's like one of my secret heroes. He came over after the Pilgrims had already come over, and he wasn't allowed to uh, kind of establish himself for some reason. He kind of thought really outside of the box. And when he started preaching, because he, there, there were some conditions there. Long story short, he took what he thought his freedoms up to Rhode Island he formed the first baptist church in america in rhode island later he actually uh, became the governor of rhode island and because he was a, he was a linguist and he learned the language of the native americans they favored him so much, they would invite him to all of their functions and parties and festivities. He taught them, they taught him. There was mutual trade with them both. And he formed a preamble of the Constitution of Rhode Island, which which provided equality for everyone. His His religious views were such that you didn't have to be the member of any particular church to be a free citizen in the colony of Rhode Island. It was a whosoever. And it's from the preamble of Rhode Island where we took that out and put that into the first um, Bill of Rights in our Constitution. They borrowed it from the Baptist preacher, Roger Williams, who understood that freedom was an inalienable right, that it comes from God, not government or church affiliation. So their form of church government, however, was represented by each individual member of the church, not by a central headquarters like the King and the Church of England. So this style of church was called the congregational style church, which is also the kind of church we have, by the way. This was also in part where America founded her idea of freedom as being of the people, for the people, by the people, deriving your power from the the governed, from the consent. It's not a top-down concept. It's an upwards concept. It's a bottom-up concept. So this group of Christians was definitely hated and persecuted by the king uh, and the state church of England. So the Puritans, let's get to them. In 1606, a group of separatists organized an independent church in Scrooby, Scrooby, or maybe it's Scooby, Scooby Scooby-Doo, England under Pastor John Robinson. In 1609, because of severe persecution, this congregation moved its members to have religious freedom in Leyden, Holland very interesting. My wife and I were walking around Holland on our honeymoon because I wanted to take her there. I used to live there and we passed a place that I'd never seen before, even though I'd lived there, uh, for some time. And I looked and I took a picture of it and it was before digital pictures. It's, I had to put a thing over my head and there's a fire that went off and it, no, (laughs) it was a, it was a colored picture, but, um, I don't know where all of our pictures are. Incidentally, it was this church where these guys met in Holland. So they went from persecution in England. They said, let's go to Holland. The church grew from whatever it was to 1,000 people in Holland. But because of the worldly living, according to these guys, the, the separatists and um, the Puritans, because of the lifestyle of the Dutch. And you know, I lived in Amsterdam. They were doing legalized marijuana and legalized prostitution before we ever did, right? And I don't know if much has changed ever since back then. Um, So they said, you know what? Let's consider our, our children and their future. So desiring more for their children and faith, this brave group of Christians felt the call of God to come to America to advance the cause of Christ. This was their reason. William Bradford said this, we have great hope an inward zeal of laying some good foundation for the propagating and advancing of the gospel of the kingdom of Christ in these remote parts of the world. Yea, though they should be as a stepping stone to others for performing so great a work. So the pilgrims then went back to England to set sail uh, for America from Plymouth, England. The Mayflower may have heard of it. After Setting sail on a ship first called the Speedwell, and after it sprang a leak twice, it forced them back to uh, Plymouth, England, where they were launching from. So the pilgrims eventually all just boarded the Mayflower. So finally, on September 6, year 1620, they set sail for the New World, not the New World Order. After a long, hard voyage, and after 66 days at sea, traveling at an average speed of about two miles per hour, you know how discouraging that would be? You could, if the Mayflower, was, you could just be like, hey guys, is it going to the New World? How's it going? I mean, that's about how fast they're going. You guys doing okay? Okay. And with the hundred people, you guys would know this. They all stayed in an area at the size of an equivalent of a volleyball court for 66 days. So, um, where was I? Okay. On November 11th, uh, they f- no, on November 9th, 1620, they finally reached the shores of North America. On November 11th, 1620, they reached and harbored in Cape Cod, And all fell to their knees and thanked God who brought them safely that far. That's not where Thanksgiving started, but you could see in their hearts Thanksgiving was starting. Um, Before even getting off the ship, however, they made up one of America's first founding documents called the Mayflower Compact. And in part, it reads... In the name of God, amen, we whose names are underwritten by the grace of God, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith, do by these present solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another, covenant and combine ourselves together for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid. In other words, for the gospel and the cause of Christ. Mayflower Compact, first document in American history. So the Plymouth Colony, um, when they first got there and started settling, the first winter, uh, December 21st, 1620, food, shelter, illness, and protection from the harsh winter was difficult, and many of these guys of the original 100 died. By early spring, after much illness, half of the original pilgrims were dead. You'd start to wonder, did we make a mistake? Did we really hear from God? Right? I mean, you'd think all of that. God still blessed these pilgrims with the help of the local Indians. One of them was named Squanto. Squanto taught them how to hunt, fish, and plant crops. In other words, live off the land. Incidentally, my wife and I met on an Indian reservation. I lived on two different Indian reservations. And I made friends with many of the, the Indians that were of that ind- And I loved to hunt with them because they, they didn't have to get tags and licenses like we did. They are year-round. And they could kill deer at night. When, when, if you had a legit tag, you could only cure one deer and you had to do it before the sun went down. So I loved with uh, going with them. They were, they were the best fishers. They were the best hunters. They were the best everything. I mean, they knew really how to live off the land and this is today. So I kind of know, I never met Squanto, but I'm assuming (laughs) he taught them how to live. So when the other local tribes had tried to plant crops there and had failed, these pilgrims expressed their faith in God to provide the necessary rain and sun to make the crops grow. After all, you could be the most skilled farmer, but you're still dependent on the weather, which means you're still dependent on the weatherman, God, right? So it's still faith at the end of the day. And so they're like, we've never done this. We don't know what we're doing. We're going to have to trust God. So... After that, God did give the increase. To the surprise of the Indians who were observing these guys, they celebrated God's blessing of life, food, and freedom with a three-day feast, inviting all of the uh, Indians to come and praise God with the pilgrims. Could you imagine your limited supplies, limited amount of people, and you're going to have a three-day feast and you're going to invite everyone to it to express their gratitude and thankfulness to God? So it was during this time in November that these brave Christians who sacrificed so much publicly gave thanks to God for his blessings and provisions. Now, I want to read to you some things out of the horse's mouth. So on 16... November 29, 1623, three years after the Pilgrim's arrival arrival, and two years after the first Thanksgiving, Governor William Bradford made an official proclamation for the day of Thanksgiving. And I'm going to read it in its original. To Ye All Pilgrims. Inasmuch as the Great Father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, peas, beans, squash, and garden vegetables, and has made uh, the forest to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams... How about having clams this year? You unoriginal, unauthentic, stuffing, turkey eaten. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Inasmuch as he protected us and has spared us from pestilence and disease, he has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. This is three years after they got there. Now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all you pilgrims with your wives and ye little ones, do gather at ye meeting house on ye hill between the hours of 9 and 12 in the day on Thursday, November ye 29th in the year of our Lord, 1,623. I'm going to start saying the year of our Lord. Let's bring that back. Come on. It's not that many more words. And the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye pilgrim rock, there to listen to ye pastor, and call me ye pastor, please, <laughs> and to, to render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for his blessings, William Bradford, ye governor of ye colony. <laughs> ye. <laughs> shortly after, in 1977, not shortly after, quite a few years later, um, I want you to hear what the Continental Congress had to say about this day. Now, 1776, you know, right? You know. This is 1777. So Congress is formed, and they issued the first national proclamation of Thanksgiving to all the colonies, as resulted of their victory. For as much, and who's, who's saying this? And it, and I don't know. I'll get it later. It's It's in here, but... For as much as it is the indispensable duty of all men to... Adore the superintending providence of Almighty God to acknowledge with gratitude their obligation to him for benefits received and to implore such further blessings as they stand in need of. And having pleased him in his abundant mercy, not only to continue to us this innumerable bounties of his common providence to smile upon us as in the uh, uh, prosecution of a just and necessary war for the defense and the establishment of our inalienable rights and liberties, It is therefore recommended to the legislative or executive powers of these United States to set apart Thursday, the 18th day of December next, for the solemn thanksgiving and praise, that with one heart and one voice and the good people many express the grateful feelings of their hearts and consecrate themselves to the service of the divine benefactor God, and that together with their sincere acknowledgments and offerings, they may join the penitent confession of their manifold sins, whereby they had forfeited every favor and their humbled, earnest supplication that it may please God through the merits of Jesus Christ mercifully to forgive and blot them out of remembrance. So, that's your first Congress, right? That's their view, and that's like what a hundred and something years after the, the Pilgrims had already had that declaration. That's like that's that's a long time afterwards. You can kind of see God's preservation of this weird self governing experiment that a people can govern themselves and have their freedoms derived from God rather than government. They seem to be doing just fine for a long time. Uh, I go on, if I don't get my stuff blown away here. So, page 148. Boom. So, the Continental Congress, on October eighteenth and seventeen eighty, issued a proclamation for the day of public Thanksgiving and prayer. Um, this came actually after the deliverance from Benedict Arnold's plot to betray George Washington. I've noticed some Benedict Arnold's lately. Whereas it has pleased Almighty God, the Father of all mercies, amidst the uh, vicissitudes and calamities of war, to bestow blessings on the people of these states. Which call for their devout and thankful acknowledgments, more especially in the late remarkable interposition of His watchful, watchful providence in the re- rescuing uh, the person of our commander-in-chief and the army from imminent danger at the moment when treason was ripened for execution. It is therefore recommended to the several states a day of public thanksgiving and prayer that all the people uh, may assemble on the day to celebrate the praises of our divine benefactor to confess our unworthiness of the least of his favors and to offer our fervent supplications to the God of all grace to cause the knowledge of Christianity to spread over all the earth. Interesting. I go on, and I hate to bore you, but just let me, I just only have a couple more. Uh, readings from our founding fathers. So here's one. Um, This is by President George Washington. On September 25th, 1789, he said this, Friday, September 25th, day of Thanksgiving resolved, that a joint committee of both houses be directed to wait upon uh, the President of the United States to request that he recommend to the people of the United States a day of public Thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a constitution of government for their safety and happiness. They knew this this constitution was to secure their happiness, and they set aside a day to be thankful for the very document that gives us our privileges and freedoms uh, today. I mean, I have so many quotes here. I'll just curate it really fast. There's another one. Um, page 164. Where does the duty of this is also uh, George Washington, at 1789. He said, It's the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and to humbly implore His protection and favor. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November next, to be devoted by the people of these United States that we then may all unite unto him in our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of his providence in the course and the conclusion of the late war. Right in the beginning. I think this last one I'll read will kind of fast forward almost a hundred years. And we'll cite, isn't that weird to just say 100 years? And I'm only going up to Abraham Lincoln. I'm going George Washington. Let's fast forward. Abraham Lincoln. Almost 100 years later. says this. October 3rd, 1863. National Day of Thanksgiving. As proclaimed by President Abraham Lincoln... I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as the day of Thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent father who dwells in the heavens. It is also announced in the holy scriptures and proven by all history that those nations are blessed whose God is the Lord. It has it has seemed fit to me and proper that God should be solemnly, reverently and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole of the American people Abraham Lincoln so I cite all of these references just to just to give you a little bit of a context So, it can be about football and Turkey. The government can make it about wearing masks and staying away from family or whatever. But however you choose to celebrate this day, and you could be like this every day, but there's been a day set aside where the country, at its core, said we are thankful to God that we came all across the Atlantic that we could have our freedoms given to us by God and by our clear conscience exercise and worship God according to the dictates of our own free will, not limited by human government or intervention. Interesting. Interesting. So we, we should be thankful for the country that we do have. Even considering the circumstances, we still ought to be a thankful people America is blessed because we have built this nation based on Christian values and based on the word of God, the Bible. So, Psalm 33, 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's what God said. And I want to remind you of this, too, just so so you don't get a little bit squirrely during these election times. Proverbs 21, 1 says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As rivers of waters, he turns it whatsoever way he wills. Daniel 20 is a little bit of a hidden one. I want to point this out to you. And pay attention to this, because he's making a statement concerning Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, but it transcends. Remember, truth goes to all generations. And Daniel says this in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. Perk up. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom unto the wise and and knowledge to them that know understanding. You know, God could like, if you're Neo, he could start downloading stuff to you. You know what I'm talking about. But he removes kings. He sets them up. In other words, um, I heard this from Dr. David Gibbs, uh, the founder of Christian Law Association. We were having a class with him at one time. And this is where I I read this verse, but he's the one that brought this up because he was trying a huge uh, national case before the, the, whatever high court he was trying it before. And he brought this verse up and he said he used it in the court of law at high court level, right? Not lower court stuff. And he said this, he said, God is the razor upper and the taker downer of governments. And I'll never forget that. He said, I'll just tell you what this verse means. God's the razor-upper and the taker-downer of governments. And I thought, that's interesting. The razor-upper and the taker-downer of governments. I don't know what's going on. I could look back and see what happened. I could look back. America's God and country. I could look back and see what happened. And you can too, right? And be ast- astound, or astound-ish, ast- astound-ish, astounded. Astounded. <laughs> astounded. You know, astounded, honest, ye people. (laughs) That where we've come, where we've come from, how it all got here. And I don't want to take it for granted. I do know, I don't want to take time for this, but I do hope through this time, Corona election, what if, this just might be me optimistic. What if people kind of wake up and there's a there's a great awakening. What if people the lights turn on and they're like, you know what, I've been duped. There's bigger things at play here that are are attacking this great country, whatever their version of it is. But there's something innate in them where they say, you know what? Doesn't matter Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter, there's I love this country. And I love the people of this country and I love what we stand for. Can we just ignore our differences? Can we just be you know, fellow citizens of the greatest country on God's green earth. Wouldn't that be awesome if people just kind of put away their differences and and united and came to Christ and had faith in God and church? You know, the great awakenings in American history happened um, when, when the country was going up and down, up and down, and then people collectively would turn to God. It says that bars shut down. Uh, there's so many things that would happen in great awakenings, which is different than revival. Revival will be a local level. People turn to God, they get right, they turn, you know, that happened all over. And there was revivals going on all over, um, but a great awakening was when a country on a whole turns back to God. It's like they wake up and God had preserved the country a couple different times before. I'm kind of praying for that. I'm kind of hoping to those ends. So we need to pray for our nation, our leaders, our churches in America, 1 Timothy two one. I exhort therefore that for all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And isn't that the government's job anyways? Isn't it? The, is, I'll pray for you, and we'll elect you, and we'll give you the power, because your power comes from us anyways, because we appointed you. You work for us. You serve the people of the country. But can you do your job so that we could live a quiet and peaceable life? I'll pray for you. Give me a military to protect me so that I could raise my family and, and work an honest job. Protect me with, with police. Don't get rid of them. Protect me. I'll pay you to do it. Right? But we'll govern ourselves. We've been doing that for quite some time, and very we're very good at it. So let's pray for the kings and authorities so that we could live a quiet and peaceable life. This is a 2,000-year-old document I'm reading right now. Pray for the leaders so that you could live a quiet and peaceable life. And he says in verse 3, 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God and our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Here's another quote from 1787. As the close of the Constitutional Convention on September 17th uh, was coming to a conclusion, and as Benjamin Franklin left the hall in Philadelphia, he was asked by someone from the crowd, "Uh, Mr. Benjamin, Mr. Franklin, what kind of government have you given us? And he replied, a republic if you can keep it. A republic if you could keep it. What did he mean? He didn't say a democracy. You know what a democracy is? Democracy is, we're both, we're a constitutional republic at its core. That's what we are. And we exercise that system in a democratic way. But a pure democracy is the majority rules. Do you understand the difference? A constitutional republic says, doesn't matter what the majority says, we have a binding document called the Constitution that that and it has three branches of government that keeps everyone in check a pure democracy could be anarchy it could be the will of 250 million people that said no we want the end of god we don't want christians we it, i mean it could be the will of the majority it could be mob rule i'll just give you an incident So the the 12 spies come back from uh, wandering in the wilderness to go to spy out the land. Uh, The 12 spies come back. Ten of them said, we can't go in because there's giants in the land. And two of them said, we can go in. There is giants, but God told us to go. We should go. Who was right and who was wrong? The majority or the minority? The minority was right. In a pure democracy... I mean, they—they actually—they that was that was pure democracy. They said, "Okay, the majority's right." So the majority, so if the majority could be fooled, and the majority decide. That's how you. And so they said, "No, we understand the folly of that way. We're not going to be a pure democracy. We're going to be a republic under the guise of or the guidance of the Constitution." So, I've already quoted this once since I've been here but I need to quote it again. Democracy in America by Alexis de Tocqueville. He wrote that in 1840. So that was some 50, 60 years after we wrote our, uh, do- we had our revolution. We wrote our documents, implemented our, our constitution and our bill of rights. And then he came to America and he said, I sought for the key to the greatness and genius of America in her harbors and her fertile fields. In her fertile fields. In her boundless forests, in her rich mines and vast world commerce, and this is the young America too, in her public school system and institutions of learning, I sought for it in her democratic congress and in her matchless constitution, but it wasn't until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power, America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. So what's the application? Well, my faith is not necessarily in the courthouse or the White House or the schoolhouse. It's in the head of the church house. Not the building, but the church. So, as he said, the greatness of America was in his churches. Christians came over. They they wanted religious freedom. Other Christians came over from that because they were getting persecuted. They started independent churches, right? I mean, and they came over to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they wanted to be raised families. They wanted to work. But their main thing was the the propagation of the gospel uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So kind of wrapping this thing up here, we need to be thankful for our sufficient and sovereign Savior. Psalm 100 where we started, know ye that the Lord is good, he made us, we didn't make ourselves, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and in his courts with praise, and be thankful unto him, and bless his name, Ephesians 5.20 says this, giving thanks always for all things unto God, and the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the worship team did this uh, very fine today, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The last passage that I'll read... Um, is is the easy one to memorize. And it's kind of a a flyover verse because it's in the the chapters where it's talking about giving. And incidentally, we never talk about giving. Have you noticed for the last nine months of COVID, no one's brought anything up about giving, yet everyone's been faithful to give. And if you didn't know, we don't pass around plates because of COVID. And we haven't been doing communion because of COVID. We haven't been doing baptism because of COVID. Kids haven't been going to school because of COVID. A lot of things we aren't doing because of COVID. But if you do want to give, we have a table over here, and there is a box. (laughs) But 2 Corinthians 9 is a chapter about giving. And 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is also a chapter about giving. That's why I'm saying, like, when you come to this verse, you're thinking, well, it's in these chapters about giving. And at the very end of chapter 9, it says this. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. He didn't spare anything when he gave us the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave us the best, and he didn't withhold. And if he gave us the best, why would he not give us the least? Right? So if he gave us the best, why would he be withholding for something less than Jesus when he gave us everything, when he gave us Jesus So we could never earn, work, strive, struggle, perform, or or obtain our salvation through our own efforts or vain religious attempts. America, as we know it, could be lost, but not our free gift of eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. You could never lose that. Salvation is the free gift of God to man. Have you, by faith, freely received his gift of eternal life? Pilgrims wanted you to know that. (laughs) thanksgivings a day about that if you already have received eternal life what do we do about that do we freely share and give out so graciously what we've already freely received i would encourage you to even consider this holiday however you choose to spend it not only in thankfulness but maybe in like an in a, like thank you for giving to me lord jesus how could i give out what you've given to me to someone else so I'm just encouraging us to be a thankful church. And it's not a mandate. I can't make anyone be thankful. I could just encourage you. You either, you either are or you aren't. I know God brings us to certain places in life. Some people mourn and we need to mourn with them. Some people rejoice and need to rejoice with them. People are different places and that's okay. And we need to be sensitive to that. But as a whole, whether good times or bad, we it would be good to be known as a thankful person. We have a lot to be thankful for. I mean, a hundred of us, 50 of us aren't dead because of, like, we have to live outside and and try to make the, look at this, like, hard-panned, like, I, how could you grow anything here if we had to grow crops right here and live right here, is what I'm saying, you know? At least we don't have to do that. So thanks be to God for all the provisions he's given us. So let's also be not only a thankful church, but a praying church that prays for our country and our leaders, he agrees. That's, that's dog for amen, if you didn't know. And last word I have to say is, let's just go be the church. We're doing outside church, but you are the church. And church doesn't stop after the last amen. We get in our cars, we go in our communities, we put on our weird masks, and we're still the church wherever we go. So let's just go be the church. Let's be thankful this Thanksgiving. We have a great country and a great God. And I still believe in its greatness because I'm looking at the secret of the greatness of America. It's right here. You know the... Uh, Anyways, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to shut up. I've just got new heroes. I, I have new modern day heroes. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for our country. I thank you for our health, and for those that are struggling. Um, I'm thinking of Debbie's uh, dad, um, and even Norm today, he came. He was feeling under the weather, Weather, and uh, just for those that I'm not even thinking of, Lord, I know that you know them. I'm praying for our leaders of our country. I'm praying for a great awakening in our country, Lord Jesus. I'm, I pray that many would turn to you And it wouldn't no longer be about something as divisive as religion or race or politics, but that we would just be united uh, as one people, one nation under God. And I pray we get back to that. And uh, Lord, if not on a whole scale basis, help us as Garden Grove Grace Baptist Church, help us to be thankful and faithful to what you've called us to do. At least we could be good stewards of our responsibility here, holding the fort here. And I pray we do just that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.